0: Welcome to the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. What are the big issues facing fruit and vegetable production in the 21st century? How are the most innovative producers tackling challenges from disease pressure to consumer demands? We have those questions and more for Dr. David Magaña, Vice President and Senior Analyst with Rabobank's Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness Group. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Magaña. Thank you for having me. The good news for fruit and vegetable producers is the rise in global incomes led by this growing middle class in developing countries and favoring increased produce consumption but you have identified a complex convergence of challenges to to sustainably meeting year-round growing demand. Can you elaborate on those challenges?
1: Yes. As many people know, uh, one of the main challenges for the global food system is to feed the world a growing population. By 2050, we're going to be around uh, above 9 billion people. But what is more important is that the global middle class is growing. Recent projections by OECD expect that by 2030, more than five billion people are gonna be classified as middle class. And that has even a higher impact on the food system as food perception and food purchases are are to be modified. Not only by increasing population, but also by increasing uh, rising income. So, we are facing with a challenge to be better at feeding the world. But also, we need to uh, to take care of the bleeding resources like water. And people are asking to allocate perhaps less water to agriculture in some regions. And also, they want us to deliver perfect quality in food, but at the same time, use less chemicals, less pesticides in some spaces. And also, they want us to have year-round perfect quality. But at the same time, they want more local product. And that is difficult to have in some regions, right? Mm-hmm. We need trade to diversify the growing regions and, and to have a year-round supplies. Also, they want more convenient products. But they want also less packaging, less garbage, and less plastic in the oceans. And they also want uh, to keep prices reasonable in the face of increasing labor costs and increasing regulations. So that is one of the main challenges for the food uh, system, to be better at feeding the world and at the same time meeting all these expectations. And there's this really interesting, ironic twist going
0: on here in that uh, a rising middle class in the developing world would seem to be a really great thing, and it is a good thing. At the same time,
1: it's applying pressure to the ability to meet rising demand. Yes, it is, and we see especially uh, this increase in middle class, especially in Asia. By 2030, it's expected that two-thirds of the global middle class will live in the Asia-Pacific region. And an interesting number is that every year, more than 100 million people leave poverty to become middle class. That will have a huge impact on food choices and on food perception, as we they don't only demand for cheap carbohydrates, but they are shifting to eat more animal protein, dairy, and also fresh products, and all the way to demand more organic products and uh, also functional foods. People like you understand
0: this, uh, but do you think the, the world grasps this change that's coming on
1: fairly quickly? Well, that's a challenge because as uh, people increasingly live more in in urban settings, uh, many people don't understand where food is coming from. So that is also a challenge just to educate all the people to know where that food is coming from and what that represents for the environment, for example.
0: Dr. Maganya, you have quite a bit of experience in understanding agricultural market integration under the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. What does your past research in fresh fruit and vegetable markets and food security tell you about how the global markets respond to free trade?
1: When we have free trade, we are allowed to f- better face the uh, year-round demand. For example, in the U.S. a, de- a few decades ago, like uh, – we could only consume fresh strawberries or avocados just for a few weeks of the year or perhaps a few months during the summer months. But now, given uh, this advance in trade and logistics, we have year-round supplies because now we we can uh, rely on supplies from Mexico, for example. And as a matter of fact, Mexico has become the main exporter of fresh vegetables in the world. And the main market is obviously the U.S. market. So trade is an, is an important trend in uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. And geographic proximity is key since we are uh, dealing with perishable products. What could be the consequences to agriculture of the U.S. pulling out of NAFTA? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, we just uh, released a couple of weeks ago... A piece of research in the Rabo Research Group actually uh, addressing that question. And NAFTA has been in place for the last 24 years, and they have been trying to reach a new agreement for the last eight months. And just remember that um, one of the objectives of renegotiating NAFTA was to have a more equilibrated trade between the US and especially with Mexico. And if the US pulls out of NAFTA, we could actually see less imports uh, coming from Mexico, especially in durable goods. And that decrease in the level of trade would have a significant economic impact in the Mexican economy. Our macroeconomic research team uh, expects that if the U.S. pulls out of NAFTA, the Mexican peso could depreciate up to 20%. With that depreciation rate and... If the trade is ruled under WTO standards, the U.S. would be charging a most favored nation tariff, or MFN, that are quite low for fruits and vegetables. Because fruits and vegetables rely, uh, the, the U.S. market of fresh fruits and vegetables rely heavily on supplies from Mexico. So U.S. has a low MFN, just one digit. Like, just to give an example, avocados is, is about 4% the MFN tariff that the U.S. would be imposing if, uh, in case of uh, no, NAFTA is no longer in place. For strawberries and blackberries, that tariff is close to zero.
0: Hmm.
1: And for tomatoes and peppers, cucumbers, is around 5%. So we could see that the expected Mexican peso depreciation could more than compensate for that MFN tariff. In that scenario, we could actually see higher US imports of fresh uh, produce from Mexico. On the other hand, US exports to Mexico and Canada would be facing a double huddle. One is the stronger dollar, since also a Canadian dollar depreciation is expected. And two, higher MFNs, since Mexican MFNs are quite high. Mexico charges to countries without a free trade agreement, they charge tariffs of two digits. And, for example, for apples and pears, it's 20%. For potatoes, up to 75%. So we could see, on the one hand, in case of an NAFTA breakup, an increased level of U.S. imports from Mexico and Canada and a decreased level of exports. Leading to an um, even more imbalanced trade. and this is kind of counterintuitive and is due to the fact of uh, having this currency depreciation. So contrary to what many people expect, in, in, under this scenario, we could see that big winners of this could be US consumers of fresh fruits and, and vegetables, and also packers and shippers that rely heavily on supplies from Mexico, and the big, among the uh, losers would be U.S. Uh, producers that compete seasonally with Mexico and Canada, as well as packers and shippers that rely solely on domestic supplies. So jobs could be lost? Probably.
0: The U.S. has had a history of ups and downs in the area of immigrant labor. Due to political issues, we won't go into those issues, but is technology stepping in to alleviate this in some ways? We hear a lot about robotics on the farm, that kind of thing. You know,
1: that is uh, uh, an increasingly challenging aspect of uh, production, especially in the produce subsector, since it's more labor intensive that other crops like, for example, corn or soybeans. And as uh, some players in the industry say they have uh, made some progress in mechanizing harvesting, and some others say that there are still ways to go. And uh, when we meet with uh, our clients uh, in Mexico, uh, they say that one of the biggest constraints they have is labor. If that happens in Mexico, imagine that, what that means in the U.S. And just remember that Mexico is a developing country and as more opportunities are arising outside agriculture, uh, we will see less labor availability. Also, the growth rate of population in Mexico is expected to decrease in the next few years. As uh, for example, a few decades ago, Uh, Families had six or eight children. Now they have just two, similar to the U.S. So we certainly expect that labor is going to continue to be an important constraint for the produce sector. And mechanization is a necessity. Our childbirth
0: rate in this country is also on the decline as well. Per capita consumption, data show that Americans are eating more fresh produce, and the fresh-cut sector of the produce industry is its fastest-growing segment. It's not unusual to hear of outbreaks of foodborne illness associated with the consumption of fresh produce. As this market continues to grow, are processors facing increased challenges of meeting demand for variety and volume? while at the same time held to the expectation
1: that they're making sure their produce is safe to consume. Yes, that, that's an important challenge. And one way to um, solve this issue is to diversify the growing regions. Like for example, the recent uh, outbreak in Roma- romaine lettuce in Juma, Arizona, uh, had a significant impact on the consumer perception on, of food safety, or fresh products, right? And one uh, another uh, important factor is just to have more information of consumers of where uh, that lettuce is produced. Because, for example, this outbreak occurred like a few weeks ago when Juma production was already in the final stage and production has already moved to the coast, to the Salinas and Watsonville area. So one way to increase this is to diversify the growing regions and also, obviously, to have better control doing uh, all kind of improvements in technical uh, aspects as well as food safety.
0: And it becomes kind of a communications issue, too, as you just said. Uh, I know in the case of, for example, Panera Bread Company had to make sure that their consumers understood that their romaine lettuce and their Caesar salads, for example, uh, came from Salinas. Yes. And uh, that was a big communications undertaking. I don't know how successful it was because I imagine a lot of people just said, okay, I'm going to have a different kind of salad right now. (laughs) Um, What are the most innovative producers out there doing to
1: tackle these kinds of challenges? Well, one way to do this is to continually improve varieties that they are using, and uh, also improve in all kind of uh, uh, technical aspects uh, to um, make sure that we have uh, food security. Dr. David Magana, Vice President and Senior Analyst with
0: Rabobank's Bank's Rabob Research Food and Agribusiness Group, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to another episode of the AG Future podcast presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com/agfuture. forward